Well, this morning I want to share, I'm starting off in part one of a, of a two-week series that I'm going to be sharing with you, uh, and it's called Sifted, S-I-F-T-E-D, so Sifted. I got to spell that because, you know, somebody thought I said gifted one or wrote it and they were like, what? And so anyhow, so sifted. And I'm going to tell you why I think this is why, uh, and this has been in my heart for a few weeks and I've kind of been wrestling with if it was the right time or not. And so as I was praying and just continued to seek the Lord, I just more and more kept getting stirred about this. And I believe that this is what we see and what is beginning to happen. And, you know, in many ways we can look at our society and what all is happening right now. And it's really easy to become dismayed if we're looking in the wrong area, if we're looking at the wrong things. But the good thing is, is that we have God's word. You know, the Bible says that God declares a thing from the beginning. You know, it's kind of like when we go read stories in the new or in the Bible and you know, you go read about David and Goliath. Well, we know, we have the advantage of what knowing the end of the story, So it kind of takes out a lot of the courage that it took for David to step up. Why? Because we know Daniel in the lion's den. Like, you know, I mean, I don't know what happened. I don't know if an angel showed up with duct tape or what, but either way, the lion's mouths were closed. Well, we have the advantage of knowing that the next morning that Daniel's like, hey, I'm still in here. But if we're not careful, we can get overly moved. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't be aware of what's happening in our nation and beyond our nation, what's happening around the world. But we have something, the word of God that actually tells us what's going to happen. And this really shouldn't be that shocking to us. Now I know that it is because we see things that we thought we would never see, right? But I'm going to show you some things from scripture today about this. But if we're not careful, we will allow the circumstances to begin to separate us from our faith. They will begin to separate us from our hope of what God has said. And many times that happens because we lose sight of God's word. We lose sight because we start looking. Think about uh, Peter walking on the water. The Bible says as long as he was focused on who? Jesus He walked on the waters in the midst of the wind and the waves and all that was coming at him. As long as he was focused, he was fine. When he broke focus and began to look around, the Bible says he became troubled and he began to sink. Now, had the circumstances changed? His awareness changed. His focus changed. And because his focus changed, his reality began to change. Because... When he was focused in the right area, when he was focused on Jesus, he was walking on water in a supernatural moment. Walking right on top of it, just kind of oblivious, if you will, to the circumstances around him. But when he changed his focus, his reality, which was one of safety and of peace, began to change into panic. And if we're not careful, we will get separated. We will get pulled away from our faith, pulled away from God's promises, get, and really get pulled away from our confidence that, hey, God is working and God is moving. And, and so, you know, I was actually, uh, it was a couple of months ago, two months ago, approximately pretty close to two months ago. Uh, you know, at the beginning of the year, Pastor Sam always has an, I predict, there's things that the Lord shows him. And, uh, but, and it's always from October to to the end of the year, the Lord speaks some things to him. Well, a couple months ago, the Lord began to start speaking to him about what all was going on. And he began to share some things. And there was one of the, one of the points that he made that really has stuck out to me 
uh, and has continued to stick with me since I first heard him say it approximately two months ago. And so I've just been praying about it. And then the Lord was reminding me of a scripture and some things. And so I began to, to pray out some things. But the point that he made was that there was a time of sifting that has come to the church. Now, sifting is not necessarily a bad thing. I think it's actually God's using it to empower the church because there's a lot of fluff in the church or has been. Let me say it that way. But if I had to choose between fluff and God's power, I'm going to go with God's power. But sometimes the fluff acts like an insulation to the church. And we can get busy doing a lot of things that God's really not that interested in. Even in our personal lives, we can become more interested in things that God really doesn't care that much about. And the fluff can actually keep us from being and stepping into what God has for us. And so I want to read you a a scripture here. I'm going to give you some context. I'm going to read this out of Luke chapter 22. I'm going to read verse 31. But let me give you some context here as to what's going on around this. So Jesus and the disciples have just had the last supper. So Jesus is there and Judas is now left to go betray Christ. And and so we've got all this going on. And so the disciples begin asking questions about a few things. And then Jesus pulls Peter aside and he begins to talk to Peter personally. Now, I like Peter because Peter gives me hope. Right? Because Peter had some great revelation from the Lord, but he was kind of loudmouthed and would just say things sometimes that Jesus is like, Peter, hold it down. Like, Peter, give me that sword. Now I got to put this ear back on this guy's head. I mean, like, Peter was just kind of all over the place. I got any loudmouth people in the house today? Anybody that you say something, you're like, whoops, <laughs> shouldn't have said that. Well, then we got hope because God used Peter. And on the, day of, on the day of Pentecost, who was the one who stood up to speak? It was none other than Peter. But I want to share with you, and here in this verse, we're going to see this because Jesus takes this to me is really such an interesting uh, passage of scripture. But I love how the, the Passion Translation brings out some of this. And so we've got, you know, Jesus has now what predicted his death, his resurrection. He's, he's told the disciples everything that he could. And so here's kind of his parting shot to Peter. Because he knows, and, and, and the end of this passage, you, you know, you just may not realize that you know it. But Jesus pulls Peter aside and in verse 21, he says, or 31, I'm sorry. He says, Peter, my dear friend, listen to what I'm about to tell you. Peter, pay attention. He says, Satan has demanded, and the Amplified Bible actually adds that he's demanded permission to come and to sift you like wheat and to test your faith. The devil has asked to sift you like wheat. Now, I used to live in Kansas, and so I know not a lot, but I know a little bit about wheat farming because that was big crop there. And one of the things that you have to do, and so there's kind of a double meaning here. There's a natural meaning and there's a spiritual meaning for this word sift here. The natural meaning is where they would take wheat, they would put it into a, uh, it would run it through a process, through a combine, but basically these big wheels spin the wheat and it separates because the seed is heavier. The seed falls and all the unnecessary extra things get blown up in the air and get blown away, right? So you could also think of it this way. Another term or another uh, illustration for sifting would be when you, now I've never personally done this. I've watched it on TV. Some of you probably have. Think about somebody, what? Panning for gold, Gold is heavier than dirt, so you sit there and you you run it, whether it's in a pan, whether it's going through a 
you know, some type of a wash plant and the gold falls to the bottom because it's heavier and all the unessential things, all the fluff gets washed away. The wheat, all the unessential things, what the fluff gets blown away by the wind, right? And so that's what it's, that, so it's literally what physically this is talking about. But he says here that Satan has asked to what? To sift you. In other words, to apply some pressure and to see if your faith is genuine. Now, this is an interesting statement. And I know that there's lots of questions because you're like, wait, you mean the devil went and asked the Lord to, to, to mess with somebody? Go read your Bible. The Bible says he's the accuser of the brethren. The Bible tells us that he stands before the throne of God. I mean, if we believe scripture, Satan is not on the earth. The Bible says he's actually at the throne of God, accusing us as God's children. It's like they don't really love you constantly. Constantly. And we see here, and so one of the other, and really this is more of a spiritual definition as far as the the original uh, language of the Bible. The word sift means to separate. We just talked about that one. But here's another one, and I think this one really applies to us. It means to separate by inward agitation to try one's faith to the verge of overthrow. I know that's a mouthful. Let me reread it to you. It's to separate by inward agitation. Inward agitation. Not external, inward Sometimes we can think, well, the devil's just trying to mess with me externally. He's just trying to influence circumstances and situations. But he's going to give us thoughts. Why? To create some internal dialogue, some agitation to frustrate us if we're not paying attention. The Bible tells us don't be ignorant of what? Satan's devices. In other words, pay attention. Why? Because we have an enemy. The Bible's very clear. He's trying to what? Separate us from our faith. And so, you know, it is this idea and what, what Jesus is telling Peter here is, Peter, the enemy has asked for you. One translation says, he's asked for you. And I, I love this, and we'll get into this in a few minutes, but he says, but I have prayed for you. And we'll look at the, the rest of this context, but I want to take just a few moments and, and kind of tie this in with where I, I believe that we, some of what we are seeing, and it comes out of Matthew chapter 24. I'm going to read verses three through eight. They'll be on the screens for you. But it, so for some context, it says that Jesus was on the Mount of Olives. His, his disciples came to him privately, which they did often because he would speak to the masses and nobody had a clue what he said. The disciples would come and say, hey, what were you just talking about? And he said, tell us when all of this will happen. He said, what sign will, sign, will be the signal of your return and the end of the world? Now, we've seen movies and we hear things, and I think that's a, a, a question that a lot of people are wondering. And the world is being more and more freaked out by what they see. The church should be more and more excited because of what we see. Why? Because God has already spoken, has already told us this was coming. Now, our future may look different than anything that we've ever comprehended, but it doesn't mean that God's plan has changed. And I'm about to show you this in these scriptures. So Jesus tells them, he says, don't let anyone mislead you, trick you. Don't let anybody mislead you. For many will come in my name claiming that I am the Messiah and they will deceive many. 
The word deceive simply means that you believe something that isn't true. It's not fact. You're believing something, but you've been tricked. That's really kind of what it means. And it says that many people will be deceived. And you'll hear of wars and threats of wars. He says, but don't panic. This is Jesus, your Savior, the one who paid for your life. And he's saying, look, when you hear all these things, don't freak out. Don't, don't panic. Don't get moved by your circumstances. You've got to stay focused. He says, yes, these things must take place. Not that they may, not that, well, if we pray hard enough, they, it's not going to happen. Look, the world is going to go crazy, but the church should not. Thank you. That was a beautiful amen right there. Look, I mean, it is what the Bible says. These things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Like, Dad, government, I thought we were like, as soon as stuff was got, I thought we weren't going to be here. And I thought all this was going to be like fall apart after we left. I'll leave your end times theology to you for the moment. We're probably going to be looking at this more later this year. And then I'll tell you what I think about it. But, but he says these things must take place and the end won't immediately follow. He says nation will go to war against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world. But all of this is only the first of birth pains with more to come. I know that's not what you came to church to hear this morning. You're like, man, you're supposed to be encouraging me. You're supposed to tell me everything's going to be okay. And I'm telling you, everything's going to be okay. It's just going to look different. The Bible says that in the last days, now, are we in the last days? God speaks the end from the beginning and there are signs and there are signals that we can see. Now, what does last days mean? Does that mean a 10 year window? Does that mean a 50 year window? Here's the answer. Nobody knows. And anybody who says they know, don't know. Why? Jesus told the disciples, Acts chapter 1, he says, no one knows the day nor the hour. But the Bible also says that day will not come upon us like a thief either. So we may not know the exact time, like, oh, Jesus has come back tomorrow. But I do believe that we're going to sense like God is up to something. And I believe that in the Bible, and this is really what I, my prayer has been, is the Bible says, as darkness covers the earth, the glory of God will cover his people. The world's going to be going crazy and the church is going to be more powerful. I believe that there will be even supernatural provision for believers. Like the economy is in the tank and yet we're still prospering. Like, well, I don't believe that. It happened for the children of Israel and Egypt. It said when they left that they begged them to leave to the point of saying, we will give you whatever you want. All the gold, all the silver, just go. So we do see a, a picture of this happening in scripture. I don't know that it's going to be that different when the church leaves. I, I, my personal belief is, is that I believe the world will be begging us to leave. Because the Bible says that believers by the, by the work of the Holy Spirit are what a restraining force in the earth. In other words, the days that we're stepping in will be black and white. There will be no 
fence post riding people that are kind of in the world, kind of in the church. You're either in or you're out. And that's where sifting happens. Jesus said it this way. He said, I will separate the sheep from the goats. In other words, those who are really mine and those who are not. And it says here that, that all of these birth pains, that's what we're seeing. Romans tells us that the earth, what, travails under the weight of sin. That it, and it actually says what, that the, the earth travails waiting for the revelation or the revealing of the sons and daughters of God. That's some of the reasons why I believe from Scripture that before Jesus comes to take us home, that the church is going to have its greatest hour. The body of Christ is going to see some amazing things happening, but the world will hate us for it even more. The divide between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. Why? Because there is a war that is coming. And it's not a physical one. And in reality, it's not really a war because it's just Jesus, because the war's already been fought. That's what Jesus accomplished on the cross and in the grave. He's just going to come back to implement his authority in fullness. Now, there's so much that I really can't get into concerning some things, but I do want you to hear some things this morning about this because these are the days in which we live. But if we're not careful, we will get so naturally focused that we will lose sight of what God is speaking. And we will get moved off of what we really see. And so, and here's one of the warnings to us as believers during this time. So we left off picking up in verse 12 of Matthew 24. It says, there will be such an increase of sin and lawlessness that though that those whose hearts once burned with passion, people who were on fire and passionate for God, it says, and for others will grow cold. In other words, because of what's coming on the earth, people will get distracted. And even the desire that they once had to see God move and to see God move in other people's lives, they will what? They will, that, that fire will diminish and they will become cold. And it says, but those who, uh, but keep your hope to the end and you will experience life and deliverance. The New Living Translation says that sin will be rampant everywhere and the love of many will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. See, as believers, we've got to understand is that this isn't just pie in the sky like, hey, it's going to be awesome like the angels. Like we're going to face some stuff. And we've been very blessed in our nation. I know this is Independence Weekend and we're celebrating and, and you know, very thankful for our freedoms. I mean, I've been to many other nations. There's not another one I would rather live in at all. I've had multiple instances where I could have just knelt down at the airport and kissed the ground when I got here. And that's not just because I'm, you know, patriotic over the top. I mean, it's just like, oh my gosh, I'm home, you know. And, and, and so, because it is different. And that's not to insult or demean any other day. I'm just telling you that we have freedoms and we have been extraordinarily blessed in our nation. Unbelievably blessed that we get to what? Worship together. That we get to speak the word of God together. I mean, I, I think some of this corona a little bit, uh, and please understand me, 
I'm not calling it persecution. Because my personal opinion is to call what we've experienced in the last few months persecution is insulting to people who are actually persecuted. But see, people are getting rattled during this moment away from their faith. Even, well, we can't come together at church. Okay, but church isn't everything. Now, the gathering of other believers, but what if you could only get together with two or three believers? I mean, there's lots of nations. They get a Bible and they take a sheet out of it and they pass it down and they take a sheet out. And once they've memorized it, they've trade. They can't worship openly. And I'm not saying that that's coming to our nation, but we would be crazy to think that persecution in America is not coming to the church. We've already seen it. We are seeing it right now. And I don't think it's going to really change that much, but what's going to happen is when the heat gets turned up, are we going to stand up? Are we going to fold? I mean, because if we're not ready, you know, there's a famous quote from a boxer that says, it's not the punch you see coming that'll get you. It's the one you don't. That's the knockout blow. Well, you know, and look, I'm not saying that we don't have our moments. I believe everybody has their moments. Everybody can get overwhelmed. But we have to be careful not to fall for the trick of the enemy. Why? Because he wants to agitate us. He wants to frustrate us. He wants to get us out and off of focus, off of what we should be doing. And I think that there's twofold. I I do believe that the enemy, the Bible says this, by the way, James chapter 5, verse 8, says what? That the enemy, so let me give you a little bit of context here. Sometimes people can be so freaked out by the devil, he can't take you unless you allow him. He is not that powerful. James chapter 5 says what? He is seeking for those that he can take. It doesn't say he's going to eat lunch. It says he's walking around looking for somebody who's susceptible. Somebody who is what? Weak in their faith so that he can get an advantage over them. So the antidote to the power of the devil is what? Walking with the Lord. He is the victor already. And so we need to know these things. But I do believe that there are some things that, that even for the church as a whole, but also for us as individuals, that there is a shaking that is happening. There's a sifting that is already going on in the church and in our personal lives of like, this thing's just not that important. Things that were a priority six months ago aren't even on our radars today. Why? Because I think there's a refining. That's another word for sifting, a refining that's happening in our hearts. If we're really paying attention and listening to, to the heart of God, So here's what I don't want. I don't want us to just be fluffy, fluffy Christians. I don't want us to just be, well, as long as everything's good, I'm a believer. And as long as God does everything that I want, as long as, you know, God's just kind of an addition to my life and my life just keeps kind of clicking along the way I want it to, I'm going to serve the Lord. But what happens when everything around you goes crazy? Are you going to stay focused? Are you going to stay fixed on what you know in your heart to be true? Or are you going to get moved off of it? 
See, I believe that we have to be strong in our faith. We need to know God's word. If you, if you don't regularly consume God's word in your life, the days ahead are going to be very troubling for you. Because God's word will act like an anchor to hold you. But if you don't know God's word, it, there's some rough waters. And trust me, this isn't what I want to preach to you. I would love to give you some fluffy, feel-good message. But part of my responsibility as your pastor is to prepare you. Is to say, hey, there's something coming ahead. I believe that we do need to be strong in our faith, but we have to know that, that, that we can trust God. Now, I know that this is who we all want to be as Christians. We want to be that strong, like, man, I don't move, I don't flinch. You know, I mean, the whole thing. I don't know how many of you in middle school used to play that game. Guys, somebody walk up and, like, jump at you, and if you flinch, they got to hit you. I mean, anybody else? <laughs> There's a couple of people. One time, I'll tell a little story. My dad was here a couple of weeks ago, and uh, one time my mom was out of town, and I didn't fold. I did fold the towels. My dad said fold the towels, but my mom had certain towels for certain bathrooms, right? And... uh so anyhow, so I folded them all, but I didn't know which one went where. So my dad got home. He's like, you didn't put the towels up. And he's like, you're getting a spanking. And uh, so I was like, okay, whatever. So he spanked me and I kind of did that number. And he was like, hey, come back here. You flinched. Yeah. I still don't let him live that down. Because I'm like, if mom was home, that never would have happened. And, uh, but anyhow, let me get back on my subject. But we want to be those that, man, it seems like our faith never gets rattled. Let me just help you. Everybody gets rattled. Everybody. Why? Because there are situations and circumstances and things that happen that we thought, I never thought I would see this. So don't allow the enemy to come in and to fool you into thinking you're the only one. No, everybody gets rattled. Everybody will walk through these things. And so if we're honest, we all what have some struggles at times. We all maybe even stumble. Sometimes even we fall flat on our face. And the Bible doesn't say that, we, that the righteous never fall. It says, no, they get up. It takes more strength to get up than to lay down. And so even in the days ahead, I want to encourage you. Even in those moments where you maybe stumble or maybe you struggle or maybe even you fall flat on your face and you're like, oh my gosh, I can't do this. Get up. And I'm about to tell you how to do that. In Proverbs, I'm sorry, in Psalms 103, verse 13 and 14. It says, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Aren't you glad that we serve a compassionate father? He's not looking at us from eyes of judgment. His judgment was poured out on Christ for our behalf. But now it says that he has compassion. I love this scripture. He says, for he knows how we are formed. He knows we're just human. He knows that we're not perfect. And it says that he remembers that we are just dust. God, I'm just a, a compilation of some spit and some dirt that you formed into a person but that person is valuable to him and he's compassionate. He's not just waiting for us to screw up. No, think of it. You know, if you have kids, think about when your kid falls and skins their knee, you just yell out and be like, see, I want you to sit there and think about what you did. No, you run over there and you pick them up and you kiss their little Bobo and you're like, it's going to be okay. And give them a hug and you comfort them. And 
That's what God does. He's compassionate. He's loving. This word here where it talks about that uh, uh, form or frame, if you will, where he says, you know how we're formed. The Hebrew actually talks about that, is that there is a physical shape, yes, but it also has an alternate meaning, which means to be in distress or to be frustrated. You know, God doesn't get mad at us when we get distressed or when we get frustrated with circumstances and situations when we're like, I've had it. I want to throw in the towel. God's not like, I knew it. I was just waiting on you to do it. That's not at all. That's not the nature of God. See, he's actually sympathetic to our difficulties. Now, let's jump back to the story where we started in Luke 22, where Jesus and Peter are talking. And he says, Peter, the enemy is coming for you, but, and this is verse 32. He says, but I have prayed, and I love this in the Amplified. He says, especially for you, Peter. Especially for you, Peter, that your faith and your confidence in me may not fail. Now listen to this. He says, and you, once you have turned back again. In other words, Jesus is acknowledging, Peter, you're, gonna, you're, gonna, you're about to fall. You don't even know it. But once you've come back, once you've turned back to me, strengthen and support your brothers in the faith. And Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go to both prison and to death. And then, of course, the famous passage is that Jesus' response says, before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times today. That's the context of this verse. And Jesus is telling Peter, Peter, you're about to stumble, but get up. Peter, I've already prayed for you. Even before you fail, I have prayed for you. That's a beautiful scripture. Peter, I know what's about to happen. I know what you're about to do. But I want you to know, Peter, I have prayed for you. I'm looking forward to what? To what you, because I, because, and I love this picture. Because he says, Peter, even though you fall, my plan has not changed for you. When, when Jesus, when Martha comes to the tomb of Jesus, she says, Or he tells her, she says, Lord, is that you? Yes, there's a whole dialogue. And he goes and says this. And it's such a beautiful picture in scripture. He says, go and tell the apostles and Peter that I want to meet with them. Why did he single out Peter? I believe because Peter was probably so distraught that he had done exactly what the Lord said, that he would have been too embarrassed to come back. That's just my personal opinion. And yet, The Lord asked for him by name. Jesus pulls him aside and says, Peter, the enemy is coming for you. He's gunning for you. He wants to sift you like wheat. But Peter, I have prayed for you. So after you stumble, get up. That's not the end of your story, Peter, but you got to get up. And and we see this picture here, even though Peter and all of his vibrato and all of that Peter is, is like, I'll go to, I'll I'll die with you. And Jesus is like, no, you're not. And I, and I don't think Jesus was sarcastic or ugly. I believe that Jesus was compassionate to Peter. And because sometimes I think we can read that, you know, like that Jesus is mad or frustrated with Peter saying before you, you know, before today's over, the rooster's going to crow three times. And I don't think that's how it was at all. I think it was more like Peter calmed down before today's over. I just want you to know, I already know what's about to happen. 
And you're going to deny me three times. But Peter, I've prayed for you. And I believe in you, Peter. And I have plans for you. And don't allow this, this, this moment to define you. See, if we're not careful, we will let what's happening in our society and what's happening all around us begin to define us. And there's only one thing that should define us. And that is our, our what? Our citizenship in heaven. That this earth is not my final destination. It is not my final place. I'm living for a kingdom to come. Not for the one I currently live in. That's what God's word tells us. And so I have so much more to tell you, but I don't have any more time. So I'm going to have to pick up on this next week. I want to read you one scripture though before I leave. Because you're like, great, Jesus prayed for Peter. That's awesome. How does that help me? Hebrews chapter 7, verse 24. It says, because Jesus lives forever, his priesthood lasts forever. In other words, in times past, the priest of the Old Testament, what? A priest would die and a new priest would be appointed. Just like a replacement. And yet here it says that Jesus lives forever. His priesthood is forever. It says, therefore, he is able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. And it says that he lives forever to intercede on behalf or with God on their behalf. On whose behalf? Our behalf. I've got good news for you. Jesus isn't just sitting on the throne in heaven, just waiting. He's not just waiting saying, Lord, when you give me the sign... Father, you you just tell me when. And I'm going to jump up and I'm going to jump on my horse and I'm going to come back. He's not just up there twiddling his thumbs. The Bible says here that what? He is praying for you. Just like he prayed for Peter. He says, I see you and I see the distress that's coming. I see what the enemy is intending for harm. But I am praying for you. See, it's one thing for us to pray for ourselves, but I think it's something totally different to think of it from the standpoint of that Jesus, the Savior of the world, is praying for me. Not just us, but when we make it personal. It says here that he is praying, what, on our behalf. Now, I don't know what in the world the prayer of Jesus would sound like. I'd love to hear it, but... Everything within me says that it's the most accurate prayer possible. It's the most important thing that could ever be prayed over us, over me, over you. And just like Jesus told Peter, the enemy is coming to sift you. He's coming to separate. But the good news is, is Jesus is praying for you. Even in your frustration, even in your distress, even in your failings and your fallings and your humanity. Jesus still loves and Jesus still prays. Why? Because he still has a purpose. He still has a plan for every single one of us. You're like, yeah, but what could that be in this crazy time? To be peace in a, in a world that has nothing but chaos. To have actual joy. Why? Because I'm not tied to the circumstances. I'm not tied to the economy. I'm not tied to this life. Is I'm looking forward to a hope. And I'm going to hold on to that hope. Why? Because that's where real joy comes from. This world can only give you 
momentary joy and it's fleeting. It's here for a moment and then it's gone. You get a new car and then it gets scratched. Somebody dings the door at the, at the mall and you're like, dad, gummit. I haven't even made a payment on this thing yet. It's already messed up. All those things happen, but man, for us as believers, as children of God, we don't have to be moved. Doesn't mean that we won't be, because we will, we all will. Join the club. Welcome to the family that screws up a lot. That's good news. Perfection's not possible. That's why Jesus came. That's why there's forgiveness of sin. So we do everything that we can. We do our best and Jesus does the rest, right? We don't have to be perfect. We just got to try. Man, it's so comforting to think about that my Savior's praying for me. He's praying for me. Even in my worst moments, he's praying for me. He's praying for you. In the days to come, he's going to continue to pray. God, God's purpose and God's plan. It, it said, we looked at this verse earlier, that these things must happen. Why do they have to happen? Because it's God's plan. It's part of his plan. He's already declared it from the beginning. All the way through the end. The Bible is full of wisdom about the days that we're walking in right now. We're going to look at it some next week as well. But I want to encourage you today. Man, don't get so focused. Think about Peter walking on the water. Don't look at the circumstances. Just stay focused. Stay fixed on God's word. Stay fixed. Why? Because the enemy wants to separate us. But just because he wants to doesn't mean that he can. Doesn't mean that he can. But we just got to what? We've got to draw our life and our strength from him, from Christ. Saying, Lord, man, I I need some help today. I didn't have time to get into it, but Hebrews chapter 4 talks about let us run to the throne of mercy so that we can obtain grace in our time of need. And God is a compassionate God. He's not angry. He's not mad at us. And here's the thing, and I believe that this is part of how we live out as believers today, is that we need to live out compassion. But the only way to really do that is to receive compassion. To have a real understanding of what it means to to be compassionate towards other people. We have to be, what? Willing to receive it from the Lord. And so I want to pray over you this morning. I I, I want to just... uh, pray over you because I believe that we are living in very interesting times. That's to put it real mildly. But God is still on the throne and God is still moving and God is still working and God still has a plan and it hasn't changed one teeny tiny little bit. So I want to pray over us this morning before we're dismissed. But Father God, I thank you so much. Father, I thank you for your word. Father, I thank you for the confidence that we can have because you do declare something from the very beginning of how it will end, Father, that you know everything, every circumstance, every weight, everything that we have on our plate right now. And Father, I thank you that you are more than enough than the stress, than the distress, and the frustrations that that we have on us right now, the weight that seemingly could feel the pressure just weighing down on us, yet you've called us to live freely and lightly. 
Jesus said that we could learn from him how to live from this space of grace. That we don't have to try and struggle and fight. But Father, that we could walk in your ability. We could walk in your power. So Father, we thank you today for your grace. Father, that your grace enables us and empowers us to live beyond what we could do in and of ourselves. So Father, we just acknowledge we need your grace today. And we ask you to pour it out. And Father, we know that you are a compassionate, loving Father. The Father, that when we ask you, Father, you freely give it to us. We honor you and we glorify you for it in Jesus' name.